Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Harrison Agents. To buy, sell or rent in Tasmania, search Harrison Agents today. On 1629 SEN Hobart, Jack and Flash with Jack Revolt and David Lifko. Welcome back to Jack and Flash on SEN Hobart and right around the country on the SEN app. And as always, you can give us a call on 1342 1533 or send us a text on the text line at 0437 555 Flash, we've been building a absolute gluttony of um, international reporters here. We've got, yes. uh, was, that, was that Mike, our man in Philadelphia? Oh, tremendous. Yeah, we, yep. we had too much. We'll have him on next week, I think. Next week. You've still got Jock Langdale to get back on us, but... Jock's got um, COVID. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't actually. Mm. Oh, that's no good. Um, all things cricket at the moment. Cricket is the flavour of the, well, flavour of the day, certainly after last night's performance. So we are going to head over to Adam Collins, SEN Test Cricket Commentator in the UK. Adam, welcome to the Jack and Flash Show. How are you, mate? I'm good. What a what a thrilling, stunning semi-final that was. Backing up after yesterday, I think after the England-New Zealand game, my thinking was, well, if this is half as good, it'll be a thriller. And I think it might have might have even been better again, uh, and not least due to the miraculous performance of Tasmanian Matthew Wade, probably his best ever night in an Australian shirt. It certainly was amazing, and uh, there'll be a lot of people waking up here in Hobart this morning and reading the Mercury and looking online and seeing the performance of obviously the great Tasmanian Matthew Wade and certainly dragged Australia over the line. Did, did, Adam, did you see this coming at all for, for Australia? Because the, the form was pretty poor leading in, even the two trial games and sort of fumbled and bummed their way through the through the preliminary games and then have hit their straps really the last, last two performances. Yeah, and I think that's why T20 cricket over the last 15 years has been such an attractive form of the game. It's not a lottery. That's not doing it justice. But if you click, it can only take a few overs to completely turn a game or a tournament. And look, that's where Australia were. At 5 for 95 uh, from there, it looked like they were gone. But Marcus Stoinis showed composure initially and took a lot of the strike in that partnership with Wade in the first instance. And then... Matthew Wade got hot. Granted, he was dropped four balls before the end of the game. It seems remarkable now that at that stage, Australia still needed, I think they needed 18 to win. And Wade went 6-6-6 six, six, six and won the thing. It was an extraordinary uh, finish. Hassan Ali, the Pakistani fast bowler, put him down. Uh, it was 20 to win, sorry. Um, but it was game over three balls later, which says a bit about how volatile the game was, how, how quickly it twisted and turned. And yeah, that, I think that's partly why T20 remains such a, an attractive form. Adam, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Flash here. I take us back to the, the first inch with Pakistan. And that, I, I, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But you look back at the, the opening stand with Rizwan and Azam, and perhaps in hindsight, a good stand got them going. They put on 70. But you look at maybe a whisker slow in terms of how the games have been rolling. Is that what you thought and how you summed it up, sort of looking back? <laughs> 
Yeah, I agree, Flash. That's exactly what I reckon. They'll, they'll look back this, tomorrow morning when they wake up in, in Pakistan and they'll say, look, yes, there was the drop catch and yes, they, they lost their bundle at the very end. And look, very brave batting from Matthew Wade to get in the line of Shaheen Sharafridi bowling at 150 clicks and playing two ramp shots, by the way. I mean, that takes some serious guts. But they'll go back and look at being a bit light on. 176 they made in their 20 overs, only losing four wickets. And that's probably flattered by Thakur Zaman, who hit two sixes in the last three balls. If not for that, they're sort of hovering in the 160s, which is probably under par, given that great start they got, at least in terms of laying a foundation with Barbara Azam and Mohamed Rizwan, who's turned into one of the, well, one of the most impressive players on the planet across the formats. And he still made 67 or 52, but given the way he was striking the ball in the power play, maybe that should have been 75 of, of 52, and it would have been a marginally different game. But that doesn't quite tell the full story either because Adam Zampa, one for 22 from four, he has been outstanding through the competition, both in terms of his economy rate and the wickets that he's taken throughout. Glenn Maxwell went for 10 in his first over inside the power play and only conceded 10 further runs in his next two overs. Really important in the middle there. And as always, Patrick Cummins, one for 30, but that includes going for only three runs from the 19th over with a slew of slower balls. And, I mean, you can see why he's the class act he is when having to deliver on that stage in a big global semi-final. And there he is, Pat Cummins, delivering for Australia again. As a huge fan of Mitch Swepson, I've been almost desperate to get him involved in the national setup in one day as T20s, etc. Adam, and the problem is that Zampa's last couple of years has been tremendous. I mean, I guess in terms of a player of the tournament nominee... You know, game after game, he has been absolutely outstanding. I think he probably is the player of the tournament. I mean, I haven't thought too deeply about that question, but as you asked it, it's hard to think of a bowler who's had more of an impact on this competition than Adam Zampa. So you're right. In terms of white ball selections for Australia, it's clearly Zampa and Agar. And I reckon a fortnight ago, we would have thought, well, look, Ashton Agar won't play at the start, but the pitches will deteriorate. They're playing a lot of cricket across three venues, and... He might be required at the very end. And even though Josh Hazelwood went around today conceding 49 runs, they're not going to leave Josh Hazelwood out of the final. So it'll be three quicks in Zampa and then the all-rounder in Maxwell slash Mitchell Marsh. They'll stick with the winning formula. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's really only need for one specialist spinner because Zampa is so good. He is set and forget for four overs every game. He's not going to go around and he'll take consistent wickets. And look, he got Australia going when Barbara Azam and Rizwan looked like they might bat the majority of the innings. It was a, a variation from him that, that drew the false stroke from Barbara arm and picked him up to, to get Australia in those middle overs. So, absolutely. As for Swepson, I mean, he'll play test cricket before he plays white ball cricket for Australia, I think. We're at that stage now when Australia next year go to Pakistan in March, they go to Sri Lanka in July, and they go to India technically in October, but I think they'll have to shuffle that series around the T20 World Cup. Three test series in the subcontinent. Uh, don't worry, your boy's going to be playing for Australia very soon. Before we chat a bit of uh, Test cricket, and certainly this show here has dropped a few bombshells in terms of Test cricket and the Ashes coming up, the, the final against New, New Zealand in the T20 World Cup, how do you see it playing out? New Zealand certainly, uh, they go under the radar, but certainly the number one Test team in the, in, the, uh, in the world, New Zealand, and now charging through a T20, they bat way above their what average. What a couple of years they've had. It's going to be a fantastic game, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, I mean, how can you not just admire New Zealand? Uh, you know, all the cliches about being more than the sum of their parts and doing doing more with less, well, they're kind of true. 
they are doing more with less consistently across the formats. They are within a hair's breadth of being 50 over World Cup champions in 2019, robbed by the boundary count back. They won the World Test Championship against India in a thrilling display at Southampton in June this year. And now they're one game away from being T20 champions when they lost their first game of the competition and have won every game since and really pulled it out of the bag, scoring what they had to get 57 from 24 to win that game. And they did it with an over to spare with you know, Jimmy Neesham and, and Daryl Mitchell, a player like Daryl Mitchell. He has barely opened the batting at all in T20 cricket. And they just took a bit of a punt on him. And here he is, perhaps the most effective opener just about in the competition, right there alongside Josh Butler. A, a bit of a... Um, a bit of a problem for New Zealand, though, is some breaking news coming out of the, the Kiwi camp this evening is that Devin Conway has broken a finger in the semi-final. He's going to miss the final. So how they readjust missing Conway, who's been a phenomenon since coming onto the scene earlier this year, that, that's yet to be seen. But uh, that means they can't go in unchanged. But, yeah, just their disposition and the way they've gone about these major tournaments, I think it'll be that old Alistair Clarkson thing, won't it? Lose a soldier or place a soldier. Shield cricket in full swing, and I was good. Enough, well, I've been lucky enough to watch every ball uh, of the Tassie South Australia game. A good full day's cricket yesterday. We saw Kawaja's performance the other day, incredible innings, uh, all bowled out for 130 or thereabouts. Was making 70 of them. Harris overnight been basically declared that he's got an opening spot. Um, so that deal is almost, it seems that it's done. We know that Warner and Harris are now going to be the ones. I had Travis Head, Adam, booked in as a spot a week ago. I said he's pretty much can't move. Now they've gone that way and said, no, no, we're going to start with Harris. It looks like Kawaja will bat at five and maybe Head misses out. Is that how you see it? What's your thoughts on that? Because this is a, it's a really interesting race as we build up to the first test. Yeah, it's been four years since Australia, uh, whether when it was this, this, this unclear about what the top seven would be. Um, was the last Ashes series. You might recall when Tim Payne uh, and Sean Marsh uh, were recalled at short notice and Cameron Bancroft uh, came in to open the side. That's the last time I can remember an Australian test team where, where there's this much volatility leading into the summer. But I think this time around, it's, it's mostly, for the, mostly for positive reasons. I mean, sure, there's not a lot of form to go on. Remember, their last test match was in January. They've played you know, four times since COVID-19 broke out compared to England, who've played 20 times. So... You know, England have got more to go on in, in test form recently. But Travis Head made runs to start the season. Usman Khawaja looks like he's in the form of his life. Marcus Harris has made runs so far this season. And then there are the Smokies, and they exist. And I, I count Mitch Marsh as a Smokie in this. Remember that four years ago in this corresponding Ashes series, he did make two centuries, one at Perth and one at Sydney after coming in to replace Peter Hanscom. So, I, I, and Mitchell Marsh, 30 years of age, a senior player, a former vice captain of the test team, it's, it's worth remembering too. So, and he has a, an extra option with the ball and, uh, you know, they, they like to have someone who can bowl in the top six and the last time Marsh played test cricket, he took a fifer against England at the Oval in, in 2019. And then there's Cameron Green, who presumably will be set and forget at five or six, depending on how they want to configure uh, that lineup. So, yeah, look, a, a lot of questions, but I feel like most of them, with the exception of the injury, the unfortunate injury to Will Pekoski, are kind of good questions right now when you consider that Warner, Smith and Labuschagne pick themselves. And from there, yeah, a, a few perhaps Jenga blocks and all the rest of it, but um, they are getting a lot of cricket in before the first test match at the Gabba, which um, hasn't always been the case. The fact that it's a delayed start to the summer 
does help in that respect as well. It certainly does. And another smoky boys I've just got Nick Maddinson. Just mm. watch this space there. He's well, batting he very well. He's off yep. hundreds, doesn't he? He does, he does, he does. Adam, the, the, we, well, this show here, we've, we've obviously launched with, with Tim Payne as, as a co-host and now he's bunkered down and getting ready for the Ashes. But he certainly threw the cat amongst the pigeons early with the English media. Was there, are they a little bit precious over there with, with our boy Payne? And well, we won't have the full Barmy Army out here this summer, but... <laughs> Is, is there a really large target on his back? Look, how I'd put it is this. The Barmy Army are not a representative sample of England cricket supporters. They are a very dedicated group of guys, mostly guys, who travel overseas. Uh, and they, um, you, you might have heard them on the coverage yesterday. They've got about three songs. They get very drunk most of the time and they sing all day. Good luck to them. But I would say that the broader cricket population over here have a fairly healthy respect for what Tim Payne's been able to achieve, uh, having taken over this Australian team at such a low ebb after the sandpaper for Igo in, in 2018. The fact that he's been able to get this second, least, well, this, this unexpected second test career, which he himself didn't think was going to happen when he was ready to retire from cricket altogether uh, back, in, back in 2016. So I think most people have a, a respect for what he's been able to achieve. And then you get the usual kind of pre-Ashes phony war um, that, I mean, I find sometimes a little bit unedifying, uh, but, I mean, it's clearly uh, part of the discourse between the nations when it comes to Ashes cricket that you're going to have to deal with a few salvos uh, when you build up to the first Test match, and and so it goes each time. So, look, yes, there will be uh, some England supporters, and, you know, mentioning the Barmy Army as one group of England supporters who, who, who won't leave him alone, but I think taken as a whole, it's a bit more measured than that. Can you give us a just just break, really quickly the, the confidence level of the English cricket team coming out here? There's been a few quarantine issues, and they haven't been sort of publicly in favour or supporting coming out here and, and serving the quarantine. Do you do you do you think they've got do you think they've got a chance? And what do you reckon they rate their chances are? Well, just on the quarantine matter, I think it's ridiculous they're quarantining at all. Uh, had Cricket Australia been willing to show some flexibility around the Brisbane Test match, uh, this could have been all resolved by playing the first test in a part of Australia that doesn't require quarantine at the moment, which Hobart. are now myriad. I mean, you could have played in... Well, Hobart, not quite now because of the no. your border there doesn't open up till, I think it's December 19th. But the very fact that we're at the very... Uh, at the moment, we're having this conversation. There's a debate going on around the Perth Test match. Now, for mine, the fact that we are asking the players from both teams to do an additional quarantine in Western Australia in order to get into Perth to be in another hard bubble, if I were the players, I'd be saying no. I'd be saying, no, we will not do that. We, the, the, the conditions on coming out to Australia were no further quarantine, no further conditions like this, like hard bubbles. Um, what they might have to sacrifice to play that final test at Perth, I, I, if I were the England team or in, indeed the Australian team, I'd be saying, no thanks, we're going to go to Hobart. Uh, we're going to play the final Ashes test in a in, in a, at a ground which uh, will, will surely support the enterprise. I know that there's been some criticism of Hobart test crowds over the years, but this would be different gravy. This would be more akin to the Big Bash, where the Hurricanes sell out Bell Reeve routinely. Uh, and it's going to be a venue where there'll be no border issues. And look, that's no hard feelings with Perth, by the way, and the WACA. Um, the people have spoken. Uh, the government got a resounding mandate earlier this year to stay the course with their COVID approach. And so be it. So no hard feelings with the WACA and with Perth and with the WA state government. It is what it is. But based on the way it is, I would have thought the overwhelmingly logical thing to do would be to politely tell 
uh, Perth. That's not going to happen. And reschedule the Test match in Tasmania in that January 14 to January 18 window. So, yeah, there has been speculation about the England team, whether they wanted to do hard quarantine. The fact of the matter is they are doing quarantine in, in Queensland at the moment, and they probably didn't need to. So credit to them for that. Um, as for whether they have a chance on the field, look, I would the, the one Australia should win, right? They're at home. They tend to do well at home against England over the years. It's not a particularly strong English batting lineup. But I mentioned this earlier. Australia have played precious little Test cricket since COVID and across the last two years. England have played loads, so they just have a little bit more to go on uh, in more recent times. So uh, whether that'll count for anything when they arrive for the first Test at the Gabba, look, probably not. Once you're in the hustle and bustle of a test series, prep tends to kind of go out the window. Um, but I, I don't think it's as big a chasm as we might assume, uh, given that it's England and Australia and, and they've been fairly poor tourists over the last few tours, with the exception of 10-11. Well, let's hope it is a large chasm and we hope the boys do take the Ashes. Adam, you'll be joining Jared Whaley and the team for the Ashes right here on SEN. You can catch on the Final Word podcast. Thank you, mate, for joining us. We really do appreciate you tuning in and listen in because the Premier will be talking all things Tassie cricket after eight, mate. Thanks for joining us. Good stuff. Have a good show, guys.